Five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston. I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Today, we're going to be looking at two big releases, one of the most highly anticipated films of the year and one of the most talked about films that I've had people that don't ever talk to me about films talking about. They're always asking me, you know, when's this going to come out? Have you seen it yet? Is it good? And that is House of Gucci, directed by Ridley Scott, starring the likes of Adam Driver, Lady Gaga, Jeremy Irons, Salma Hayek, Al Pacino, Jared Leto, um, and so and, and obviously an ensemble cast uh, looking at the life of Patricia Reggiani uh, as she married into the Gucci family and you know her eventually plotting to kill her husband. Um, and also we're going to be looking at Power of the Dog, which is a new release that's just come out on Netflix. Uh, which is directed by Jane Campion and stars the likes of Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, you know, and Kirsten Dunst, um, and looks at a rancher um, whose brother goes off uh, and marries a, a local um, woman, a a what was a hospital. What, what would you call, what would you describe her her job? Uh, she kind of runs a hotel slash bar restaurant thing. Yeah. With her, Son, is it her son or is it her yes, nephew? I think son. it's her son. Um, yeah, it is her yeah. son because it's Phil's nephew. Yeah, and uh, and then he takes uh, he takes her back to the ranch and and uh, the problems between the the lead rancher and and the wife of her bro- of his brother begins. Um, so two two big films this week. Uh, two films I'm sure will get us. Um, you know, a lot of uh, passion and emotion to talk about. Um, but before we go into all of that, uh, I'll start off first by asking, how have you been? It's been a while, again. I, I'm quite good, thank you. It has been quite a while, and last week, uh, I didn't. I said I had nothing to do. I said I hadn't been up to much, and you said that you're bored of me saying that I've not been up to much. Well, this week is very different. I've been quite busy this week. I have actually been quite a lot last Ooh. weekend. I know, I've been a busy man. Last weekend I went away with my sisters, their birthday was at the beginning of November, uh, and we went away to Birmingham for the weekend. We did some shopping, got some food, went to the Christmas markets, and then we drove back to Manchester. It was very exotic, Birmingham. And then we drove back to Manchester because my granddad uh, had his 80th birthday, so we got the family together for his 80th birthday. Happy birthday, uh, granddad. Yeah. Pass that on, please. Please. Please I will do it. I'll make sure he knows. Thanks, he, thanks, thanks. he knows. Uh, we didn't get the whole family together because he's 80 and COVID, but we got kind of the immediate family together. Um, and that happened. And then it snowed. I don't know if it snowed near you or how much it snowed near you, but it snowed a lot in Manchester. Yeah, it and... didn't snow at all in London, at least while I was there. Oh, wow. It snowed a lot in Manchester. I woke up in the morning and it was fine there was no snow and then i saw like one snowflake fall and within an hour there was like a good five inches of snow um and so i went you see to my snowflakes sisters. every time you look in the mirror <laughs> <Geezer. laughs> sorry <Karen. laughs> and then i went to my sister's and uh, I spent the day in the snow with my nieces we built a snowman had a snowball fight i beat them in a snowball fight um 
And then I ended up getting snowed in because all of the public transport in Manchester wasn't working properly and my train got cancelled. So I ended up stranded in uh, Manchester, excuse me, in Manchester for an extra few days, which uh, didn't go to plan. And then I ended up, because I was in Manchester for an extra few days, I went to the doctors with my sister because she needed to pick up a prescription. And while I was there, they said, do you want to have your flu jab? And I was like, yeah sure so i ended up having my flu jab which made my arm achy it made me feel a bit fluey for the next few days so i couldn't really do anything but i needed to get back to liverpool so i managed to get back to liverpool but then i've just kind of been chilling in liverpool uh and i've started to feel better i managed to go to the cinema a couple of days ago managed to go out to see house of gucci a few days ago um and it's been quite a hectic week like i say i got stuck in manchester so i spent a lot of time in manchester um and now I'm I'm back and things are starting to mellow out again. But I've had an unusually busy week because normally I don't I don't do anything. Fucking hell! Wish I asked. I know. Yeah, you should have <laughs> said you were bored last week. <laughs> just joking. Um, I would have just yeah. been polite and said no. I've not done anything. Yeah, my uh, <laughs> my 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 flatmate went out to Manchester for this for the city game and um, sent me a video of him like walking to this ground and he, he just is completely uh, just a white a white. Um, towel over the ground completely covered yeah um, oh that's another thing as well my dad, uh, yeah my dad said that he had an announcement at my granddad's birthday he said the day before he said to me and my sisters i've got an announcement for tomorrow and we were like what is going on what is this announcement it turns out my dad has decided to get us he's always wanted to do this uh he's now a steward at city at Manchester City. He's a go. massive City fan. So he decided go. to go and be a steward at City. And his first game was the uh, that game that was in the snow. And it was oh, right. hellishly yeah. busy and hellishly cold. And that was his first experience of it. But he had a good time. Yeah, and they won. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, when I started the podcast uh, a few years ago, um, I did it during, after my sixth woman ended uh, and had a lot of free time. Uh, and last year, I started up again during lockdown because of the fact that I wanted to share my um, my, my my films and I wanted to talk about films. But secondly, because I had so much spare time because you know it was bored, you know lockdown. So, whilst the primary goal has always been because I you know to do this because I like films, it's always been kind of had that secondary boost of boredom, and I've always had an awful lot of time. Uh, so when I went into the third year of university, I did know that I'd have less time. Um, which is why the podcast have been so infrequent recently. Uh, there's a podcast, obviously, last episode, there wasn't a podcast before that for two weeks or so or a week and a half. And, and now there is, a, this is, this is the first one for, you know, a, a bit longer than usual, two weeks, I think. So, um, yeah, it's just uni work for me. I've just, uh, think so if there's less podcasts, you know, luckily I'm through the, the, the most busy week of the year. So hopefully we'll be back to uh, making yeah. more, but, um, you've been a busy guy. I've been a busy guy. Also went to Leeds during the time as well, which was also pretty cold um, in 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 that period. Um, but yeah, so I'm back now. But one thing that means is that this to um, like today, I went to the cinema twice today. Today um, was the first time I had gone to see any film, cinema or otherwise. I had seen a film for uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve days. Twelve days without Ooh. seeing a film before today which is insane for me and something that I have not done all year gone 12 days about watching a film wow I tried, tried to supplement that by watching three today but um, 
Yeah, so it's been... That reminds me, just to interrupt about the frequency of going to the films, I saw someone on TikTok the other day, um, yesterday it was, or maybe it was today, I can't remember, uh, who said uh, they think they've got a problem because they went to the cinema too much because they went to the cinema <laughs> five times in November. <laughs> well, I and actually I only like, went four oh times in November. <laughs> I'm just looking at my thing, I actually only went four times. Uh, Eternals, Card Counter, um, Spencer and King Richard. So I only went four Really? Times. Yeah, because but I watched a lot of films, but just I watched loads um, at home. I watched loads of films at home, oh, Interstellar right. and Marriage Story and Red Notice and that. Um, yeah, but in October I watched about thirteen films in cinema. Yeah, I was like five times, and you think you've got a problem? Oh god! <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to ask statistics for how we've gone to the cinema. Uh, I've got a bit of a sore throat, by the way. So if you can hear that, then you know, just bear with me. I've just got a bit of a sore throat today, so I've got a lozenge in. So hopefully that will. Uh, I mean, I don't sound so croaky, but uh, my throat does hurt a little bit. So, um, yeah. So I've only seen one film since last episode. Uh, we're not talking about today. And that is a film that I watched today uh, at six o'clock in the cinema. I went to go watch Ghostbusters Afterlife. Now, we were mm. considering doing this in the podcast, but we decided that, you know, we, we weren't really that, we didn't care that much. It didn't look like it was something that we really was going to get us passionate or divide opinion or anything. Um, but I'll say, I, I, you know, I don't know why, but, you know, I normally go to late screenings of films or I watch, you know, films like, king richard and the card counter and whatever um i didn't when i opened the cinema door and saw a room full of 10 year olds i felt like right i should have made sure i had a friend going with me before i went to go see this one it was so <laughs> dodgy like loads of like eight-year-olds i didn't realize that that was the audience of ghostbusters i thought it would have been like 15 year olds but it was like all eight-year-olds nine-year-olds like families of five and then me in a massive hoodie, sitting in the back with a beard, looking like, you know, like, I live on the street or whatever. Like, I was like, <laughs> I felt so dodgy. Um, but, <laughs> but you know. Once ago, Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, you know, as dodgy as it looked. Um, and I will say, um, it is good. Um, it is fun. It's charming, is what I'd say. I, I, I didn't necessarily love it as much as a lot of people I was on Twitter. Everyone was talking about this massive amazing oh my god this ghostbusters film is so good oh it's such a change from franchise crap it's you know it's like not like men about international they've not just gone for a typical cheesy spin-off it's actually done something new and okay it did do some of those things and enjoyed it but i thought it kind of lacked a bit of substance i thought i actually thought it was quite generic um it wasn't necessarily generic in the sense it was the same as the other ghostbusters films but it felt quite typical for the genre uh i thought film all is good he's, he's always pretty good uh i, I like film all a lot um his sister basically in the film is basically uh just a female young sheldon um but yeah it's 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 fun the vfx are good uh, say so it's charming, but it kind of lags, but it lacks a bit of substance. It, it comes across a little bit generic, and you know, I think it's kind of a bit forgettable to be honest. I know that you know everyone's loving it, but yeah, I thought it was fine. Um, and it's there's a couple of characters that are in this film for so unbelievably little. There are people, there are a few ca- different actors, big actors that are in this film for about four minutes. And I really wonder why they did it. I don't want to give any spoilers away because there are a couple of cameos, and this is not the kind of typical people you'd imagine. There's about two or three actors that like quite big actors that make like three minute appearances. That it's a bit strange, but yeah, goes by our life. Uh, go watch if you like if you if if you're like into that kind of thing. If you want to, you've got a kiddie that's happy to watch it, but it's really 
not a big deal. It's not a big miss. I know you haven't seen it. I wouldn't particularly say go watch it. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I, I wanted to watch the first one first, but I haven't found the time to watch the first one yet. Um, rewatch the first one. I haven't seen the first one. Um, I was going to go watch The Matrix today, which I've never seen. Um, um, but because it's been re released in the cinema. Unfortunately, yeah. due to time constraints, I could not. But I do plan to watch it tomorrow. So um, before the next episode, I should have my thoughts on on the first Matrix film, the the, uh, the legendary film. I think the film that's been most often cited by serial killers. I believe is that true as inspiration. I believe I read that the other day. That it's the most people commonly misconceived as things like uh, people reading um, one flu. Uh, sorry, people reading um, Catching the Rye and. Um, that kind of thing, but actually, the most the most common is is the Matrix. I think is what I heard. That is strange. Yeah, I didn't people know that. Kind of, the whole like not comprehending their own reality thing kind of fucks with people. Hmm. So if I don't record a podcast after this, you know what's happening. <laughs> what have you watched since the last episode? Um. Well, I I've watched quite a bit, but before we get into that, I just want to say in the past few seconds. I've just had a notification. The title of the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse has been released. And it's Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, part one. Oh, really? Part one? Part one. And we have a trailer. Yeah. So there's a trailer? There is a trailer, yeah. Haven't watched it, obviously. Uh, I'm looking forward to the the podcast so I can find what that is. I know, yeah. And it's called part one. That's interesting. That is interesting. Sorry, I just had to get that off my chest because I yeah, just had yeah, the notification yeah. for it. It's good news. Uh, the stuff that I've watched this week is, um, I always say, like, there are so many films that I still need to watch. Like, we were talking just before we started recording, I still need to watch Coda and Passing and so many films like that. Um, and But I have spent the past few weeks watching shitty Christmas films on Netflix. I have watched the <laughs> entire... A Christmas Prince trilogy. No way! I watched. Uh, I haven't seen a Christmas Prince, but I watched. Um, do you know the YouTuber Jenny Nicholson? She yeah. She she did yeah. I watched her um, her reviewing of the first two yesterday. <laughs> I, I watched them, and uh, they are they are awful. But I'm I was kind of obsessed. Like I, yeah. I am a sucker for a, a shitty Christmas rom com. I'm I'm a sucker for a rom com. Set at Christmas. There? There are th- it's a trilogy, there are three. Right, okay. And um, I'm a sucker for a cheesy rom-com, especially when it's set at Christmas. I am in. I am so in. I also watched Love Hard, which is another Netflix Christmas rom-com about a woman <laughs> who falls in love with her catfisher, a man who catfishes her, which is kind of problematic on several levels, but, you know, we'll just ignore that. Uh, the Christmas Prince trilogy was kind of like amazing because it was so shit at times but I spe- the second one is the worst one i think especially because the titles give a lot away like the first one is called a christmas prince the second one is called a christmas prince royal wedding the third one is called a christmas prince royal baby so you kind of know where it's going you know the trajectory um but it was funny anyway and i did enjoy it and i hope they make another one um for next christmas uh, I also watched Deck the Halls, which is another Christmas film. I remember watching that uh, when it came out in cinemas in 2006, and my auntie took me and my cousins to see it. Uh, it's got Danny DeVito in it, and it's another film that is absolutely shit, but I love it. Apparently, um, during the production of that, Matthew Broderick, who's also in this film, could be found on set alone 
shaking his head and complaining about how his career has hit rock bottom. <laughs> um, and Danny DeVito didn't talk to anyone during production. He just turned up, filmed his scenes, and then went home. Um, Kristen <laughs> Chenoweth, who yes, is also in it, complained that her career was at rock bottom. Uh, it's plagued with people who hate it, but I think it's great. <laughs> have you um, seen Last Christmas? Yes, I have. I saw that last year. Okay. Did, 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 I'm assuming you mentioned that last week when I mentioned it because I, I've forgotten. Do you like that film? Yeah, I thought it was quite good. Yeah, my, weirdly enough, my girlfriend watched it earlier today and hated the plot twist. <laughs> really? Yeah. She the plot twist, of course, is I, actually I set in Hanukkah. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. I just feel like um, the generation of today have just forgotten how many bangers that George Michael actually made. Like he actually, actually was a hit machine. He was. He was wonderful. Yeah. Um, he was. Yeah. Yeah. So what else have you seen other than Christmas films? I have. Um, I, I've also. I don't know if you've caught up with this, but I watched Hawkeye. I haven't I've been seen keeping any up with Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Uh, it's pretty good. I obviously won't say anything, uh, mm. but it's pretty good. It's. Uh, it's fairly good. Um, if nothing's happening that week, we might do like a series review at the end of it. Yeah, Perhaps. that'd be a good idea. Uh, and then the final two things I watched, I did a double bill in the cinema yesterday. I watched Disney's Encanto uh, for the first time. Have you seen Encanto yet? No, I know. I'm looking forward to seeing it though. No, yeah, I thought it, it was really good and I was really enjoying it. But then the end just kind of happens and comes out of nowhere. And I thought it was very lackluster in the ending. And it kind of brought me down a lot. Like I was, I was enjoying it. And I was thinking, God, this is one of my favorite Disney films in a long time. The concept is really good, and then the ending just sort of happens, and it doesn't fully make sense. And I wasn't on board with it. Um, and then, unlike you, I did go and see The Matrix yesterday, and I saw The Matrix in IMAX. It's been re-released, re-released in IMAX, and um, it was. I haven't seen The Matrix since I was very young. It was one of those films that my dad showed me, and he was like, "Right, we're going to watch." a classic film now um and you put the matrix on uh so i i've i had seen it but not since i was young um seeing it in the cinema in imax is one of the best experiences i've ever had in a cinema it was amazing it's one of the most influential films ever made it's truly one of the best films best action films best sci-fi films best films ever made it's amazing it's it, i was so impressed with how um, the Wachowski sisters managed to make something so like mind bending in the nineties and how visually impressive it is. Like the the famous bullet time sequence. I know you've not seen the Matrix, but you know that. Yeah, obviously. Um it was just insane to see that on an IMAX on an IMAX screen. And there are so many moments like that. And the the effort that was put into it, the sound design on the cinema speakers was amazing. It's it really was incredible and it was one of the best it was like it was one of, i didn't expect it to, <clears throat> excuse me i didn't expect it to be but it really was one of the best experiences i've had in a cinema it was mm. oh, it was unbelievable it was fantastic and i i cannot like encourage you enough if you can find the time go and see the matrix in cinemas and if you can try and watch it in imax uh, because it's it's worth it it's incredible you know it's just unbelievable. Like the opening sequence, the opening chase sequence is unbelievable. And the scene when, um, yeah, I assume you know what happens in the matrix. No, I actually don't. Well, I know, I, I know basics. Yeah. I probably okay. know what you're going to say, but I might not. Yeah. Well, you know that the matrix is a simulation, right? Sorry. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm just double checking. Like, you know that, surely. Yeah. Um, the moment when Neo wakes up, like, in the real world, um, is one of the, like, my jaw was just on the floor for that sequence. It was amazing. It truly was absolutely mind-blowing, and it's fantastic, and... Mm. I cannot recommend going to see this in the cinema enough. It's one of those films that, like, you watch it, and I think most people are, well, everyone outraged because we weren't alive, or we were only just alive when it came out in cinemas. Um, but you weren't alive, I don't think. I was I was less than one. Um, but um, it, we haven't seen it in cinema. We've seen it on TV or laptops or whatever, and we love it. But seeing it on the cinema screen just kind of elevated it to a whole nother level, and it's genuinely a classic, one of the best, most influential films ever made. One of the most parodied films ever made. <laughs> I think I remember reading after I came out of the cinema, um, By it came out in 1999. By 2002, the bullet time sequence had already been parodied, parodied over 500 times in films. And it's it's still going. Like There are still being parodies. There are still parodies of that being made now. And it's just, it's one of the most influential films. And it's one of the best. It's amazing. Please find the time to go and see it in cinema. If you do, if you go and watch anything in the cinema next week, make it The Matrix. I know you've probably already seen it if you're listening to this, because it's one of those films. But please make the time to go and see it in the cinema, because it's so worth it. I wonder how many people are going to that screening thinking it's the new one. Because probably quite a few people. especially. That I know, I did contemplate um, trying Same to trick Twitter again. You know, and saying like, oh, I'm, I'm here. I don't for think that would work Matrix. because of how widespread, like every single cinema is now re-releasing it, rather than yeah. like West Side Story, which is like one. Um, yeah, true. What the fuck does Scooby do this crap mean? The fuck does that even mean? Are you talking about the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer? Yeah. <laughs> what is he on about? That's not a thing. What uh, yeah, he, he kind of says it as though it's an established. Yeah, what like, is he on idiom? about? What part it's of not... Scooby Doo is he watching? I think it's just the, the the concept of a group of kids solving stuff. They Scooby Doo a show where people get together and make things disappear, <laughs> make things unhappen. What a stupid thing is but that? Yeah, it wasn't. It's a very not funny joke, and it, it makes no it fucking made me laugh sense. How they just like assume that that's something that people say, like Scooby Doo this, like Let's yeah, Scooby-Doo that's this that's something that humans say. This this podcast is uh, two hours of of two students Scooby doing. Um, <laughs> I actually want to say, by the way, before I leave, I forgot to mention it that Ghostbusters Afterlife um, has uh, a character that made me finally feel represented. Um, you know, I feel like I, you know, I'm part of a kind of rare group of people that don't really get the screen time that we deserve, and I think the hot mainstream media has kind of let us down. Um, so to have a character called Podcast, whose whole personality is that he makes podcasts, I finally feel represented on the big screen. So um, just want to give is a there an, Is there actually a character called Podcast in There's a character called Podcast because he makes podcasts, yeah. That's that's, that's We never find out what his name is other than... And he's one of the main characters as well. He's like, this oh, is why representation podcast. matters in film. Exactly. I've, I've never thought before felt seen, as I say. <laughs> Okay, um, firstly on the news thing, I haven't got any, like, any big news, but I've got a few little things I want to say. Um, firstly, oh, I should have waited till now to mention the Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, you should have. It's talking of Spider-Man. Yeah. Talking of Spider-Man, <laughs> eh? I just wanted to say um, about the Spider-Man No Home, of course, is coming out on December the 15th in England. Um, and 
I just want to talk about the reaction and like the pre-booking of tickets. Like I've never seen this. I don't remember this phenomenon. It must have happened. Apparently, Endgame like the most pre-bought tickets ever. But in England, yeah. I don't remember people rushing to buy tickets. I remember people rushing really? to go, but I don't remember like when the tickets released it being a big deal. But like, I remember that for Endgame. I remember struggling. I remember struggling to get tickets for Endgame as well. I I was refreshing the Odeon website for about an hour. I um, haven't got my ticket for Spider-Man No Way Home yet. Have you? Haven't you? Yeah. No, because I managed to. Uh, most checked. of them sold out like the day they got released near me. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the screenings uh, have. Luckily, um, what what um, I don't know if Odeon has done this. What Cineworld have decided to do is just make every single screen show that film essentially that day. Yeah. So like, there's like 90 screenings at Wembley. So I yeah. will be able to quickly watch that before I go home because I'm going moving home yeah. that week, uh, that day. So. Um, but yeah, but it's, yeah just, I, I, it's mad. The 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 hype for this film is unlike anything I've seen whilst I've been in fi- into film. Like I wasn't really into film for Endgame as much, but yeah. while I've been into film, I've never seen hype like this. Yeah, for, it is. It, this is like the closest to Endgame I've seen it. Um, but I had relative ease booking my tickets. But it is crazy um, because I remember Endgame tickets dropped in the middle of the day, um, and the website Odeon website crashed. And I really struggled to get tickets, and it sold out within an hour. Um, especially because I was trying to book the double, IMAX double bill midnight release of Endgame and Infinity War, and that sold out very quickly and struggled to get tickets for that, but I did. Yeah. Um, and this is different because the tickets dropped at about four or five o'clock in the morning, and I remember. I for some reason I woke up in the in the middle of the night at about half four, and JL had messaged me saying like tickets are up, Spider Man tickets are on sale, and I was like oh shit I need to book my ticket, and at like five o'clock in the morning, a good half of the cinema had already sold out, and I That's was mad. like Jesus Christ, and then by the next morning, like by like nine ten o'clock in the morning, the evening IMAX showings were gone. Like yeah, just sold mad. out. Yeah, it's mad. That I, I is can't crazy. believe that we're talking over two weeks in advance, and the Ely. I mean, you've never been to the place, but Ely tickets are already sold out. I mean, this place, like, yeah, like there's about sixty people in Ely, and I'm about forty four of them. <laughs> so the fact that it's sold out for like the eight o'clock screenings, like that's insane. Luckily, in Wembley, they put so many on. If you just find two screens that are like within thirty minutes of each other. Then yeah. one of the two will will have a few seats, so I'll be fine. Uh, yeah, them but back. I've we've uh, I've booked the the I think it's the first IMAX showing of the day. Um, oh really? And I booked with relative ease as well. I remember I booked my ticket. I like went onto the app. I said like I'm going to book this seat. I booked it, got my confirmation, and then I opened Twitter to tweet like I've got my Spider Man tickets, and all I could see were people saying. I'm in a queue over an hour wait. And I was <laughs> we like, see 13 oh. people all saying they specifically wanted that seat that you bought in that cinema at that time. Yeah. Fuck's sake, I wanted K5. <laughs> Fuck. But so many people were like, you know, oh my God, I can't get tickets. This is absurd. Surely they should have expected yeah. this, much tra- this much traffic. And I was like, I booked mine with no issue whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see Noah Hill. Very excited. Next up, um, this is a. I'm going to be going to give a, an in memoriam section, 
um, which is probably someone that I, I probably wouldn't have mentioned usually, but I just think that it's come a very interesting time. Um, to This uh, last week, um, Stephen Sondheim, the composer and lyricist, died age 91. Um, now, he's best known for writing a whole load of musicals, uh, including West Side Story, uh, Sweeney Todd, um, Company, loads more. Um, and I just wanted to, um, it's just, it's just a really interesting time because last week we would be, we talking about him because of Tick, Tick, Boom. And, you know, he's quite a prominent figure in that film. Um, and obviously was a prominent figure in the life of, um, ooh, uh, um, Jonathan Larson. Jonathan Larson. I couldn't remember the first name. I remember that. <laughs> last time I couldn't remember the last name. I've, uh, now I can't remember the first name. Uh, and next week, we're going to have the next uh, or the new uh, adaptation of, of West Side Story, which, you know, obviously he wrote the, the lyrics for. Um, so, you know, it's just a really interesting time where, you know, this is where I guess he's being talked about the most. So um, rest in peace. My man, and obviously had an insane career, yeah. and I guess you probably know more than me because you're more into your, into your musicals. But yeah, I'm not He's particularly Academy into Award Broadway winner. musicals. Yeah, he. What did he win an Oscar for again? I remember that he he won an Oscar, but he's got about eight Tonys as well. Obviously, he was more prolific in Broadway. He won an Academy Award for I don't know for best original song on uh, for Dick Tracy, 1990. Oh right, interesting. Um, sooner but or yeah. later. Uh, like we were saying, I think it was last week I was saying I, I went to see the original West Side Story and um, the lyrics are so good and the lyrics are part of what makes it so special um, and he died, I think it was a few days after I got to see it and it was really like sad to see because he, you know, his lyrics are what make West Side Story so special, what makes, well one of the things that make it so special and his lyrics are like timeless um, so to see that he died a few days later it was really sad. And with what, like you said, with watching Tick Tick Boom, um, it was strange. I've, I kind of had a Sondheim uh, few weeks. I saw the original West Side Story, saw Tick Tick Boom, and then waiting for the the new West Side Story as well. Um, it's kind of like the the bittersweet time for him to go because at the minute everyone's celebrating him and would have been anyway because of these films. Um, but obviously, with him going, with him dying during this time period it's kind of like adds an extra boost to the celebration of his life with the new west side story hit company uh, has been reissued on broadway as well and the he died i think he died the opening night um of the new version of company Which i think very gender much like, swapped company very much like uh jonathan larson of course he died on the first yes day that's of, true of um yeah that's true yeah and they've dedicated the whole run to him, which is obviously like yeah. great. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is sad. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I just thought I'd bring it up because of the, of the time more than anything. Of course, the fact that he had a great career. He's won. He was an Emmy away from the uh, the EGOT, uh, which means that he's officially uh, as good of a, a performer as uh, or as good as a, of a of a influence on the world of entertainment as Ben Platt is, because he also won off an EGOT. Oh god. Um, so, before yeah, we're, we're right now in the middle of like this um, kind of pre pre awards awards season. So like we've got the like we're currently going through a million nominations and a million winners of all of the like local awards, uh, critics association awards, and all that stuff. And it's like 
a very annoying time to be on Twitter because my entire Twitter feed is just different people tweeting out the list of nominations or winners for every single um, award ceremony. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, it's quite interesting me. at this period, though, because this is these are the first ones. So yeah. like we're, we're finally getting an indication of what voters And the answer is thinking. that, that yeah, a lot of things are done a lot better than I thought they would, and a lot of things are done a lot worse. One thing that's done a lot better... Um, is Tick Tick Boom actually? I think I've seen way more nominations for that than I, I first intended, uh, first imagined. Mm. I've seen uh, quite a few Best Film nominations. Um, I wouldn't really be surprised about Andrew Garfield um, getting getting Best Actors, but I've seen a lot of lot for him. I've seen The Lost Daughter doing quite well, which is a film that we haven't really even thought about because it's kind of been one of those kind of those films that, that doesn't exist. You know, like I've not heard anything about The Lost Daughter. I've seen that do quite well yeah. in a few places. I think. Um, it's uh, it won best film one. at one of them. Yeah, Sorry? which w- yeah. it won best film as well. Like, yes, that yeah, came it did. Out and that's what Maggie Hill got best debut. Another f- a festival. Uh, yeah. I've, uh, one thing that was really heavily predicted at the beginning of award season was that Mass would be a massive, um, you know, no pun intended. Mass would be a, a massive uh, contender. It looks like Mass is really not doing very well at all. Uh, yeah, it's kind seen... of flatlined, sadly. Yeah, and. Again, still early days, and a lot, a lot of the Oscars uh, people, a lot of the Oscars voters haven't watched all the films yet, and they ha- all the companies haven't ran their campaigns yet. Um, but I think one thing it does show is that placement of when you release your film is so important because I feel like films like Mass that that were that first did the awards circuit, did the film, even though I haven't seen it yet. It first Mass was first released to um, kind of uh, film festivals in like January. So yeah. like the fact that it's now been, you know, 11 months, that's going to make it, that's going to be hurt. Whereas films like Belfast, which have done really well so far, it's not even come out yet majorly. And it's only been released on the awards, uh, film war circuit in the last two months. Um, I mean, I think there's so much so like, and passing just suddenly coming out of nowhere and getting an awful lot of nominations or wins or not, not wins, but a lot of nominations for, for Tessa Thompson for amongst different places. I mean, it's like, Placement is so important. I will say, I actually, I've seen a few places that have, um, I've, I've quite a few places that I think um, have had the Green Knight being nominated for things. I, Washington DC had it nominated, it's nominated for Best Film and Best Director. Yes, I which, saw that as well. Yeah, which is a big deal because we really, really like the Green Knight. It also yeah, I was very happy with that. And we weren't really prepared for it to get any awards or nomination. Now, I actually think that, you know, it. It deserves to be in the conversation for best actor as well, but it's not probably going to. But yeah, it's um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of things, and, and we're seeing the power of the dog, which we're going to talk about later, doing very, very well. Um, yes. And New York critics, uh, New York's critics uh, awards or critics, whatever it was, uh, had Lady Gaga winning best actress, who we're going to be talking about later because it's going to be House of Gucci. Um, so that's right now. I'm assuming it more as more come up, we'll probably talk more and more about that as the weeks come on, which is going to be great. I love award season. Um, but yeah, so we have to deal with that as the time goes on. Uh, and that's it. So one last thing is that um, Nicolas Cage is playing Dracula. Uh, do I need to say anything more? No, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Yep, the Aquafina, Agri- Ag- uh, Aquafina. She's uh, she's in the film as well, but who cares? Let's all focus on the fact that Nicolas Cage is playing Dracula, which is which is going to be good. That's in Renfield. Yeah, that's going to be insane. Yeah, can't wait. Okay, so without any further ado, uh, let's get in to the power of that damn dog, baby. So um, I'll give my little intro, and then I'll let you start. 
So I'm going to say what I said again, but I'm going to try and um, fuck it up less. <clears throat> so, The Power of the Dog is director Jane Campion's adaptation of a 1917 novel, also named The Power of the Dog, uh, which, and this sees Benedict Cumberbatch as a rancher and Jesse Plemons as his brother. When Jesse Plemons uh, goes and marries a, a hotel manager, as you said earlier, uh, played by Kirsten Dunst, um, and takes her back home, it quickly starts conflict between ben, Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, lead, Phil, and Kirsten's that's Rose, who are very different uh, and see the world very differently. And this also begins conflict between uh, the character of Phil, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, and Cody Smith-McPhee's Peter. Um, so I've said an awful lot of names, but it ha- is a film that has been um, praised for its ensemble. Uh, it also stars Thomas and McKenzie. Uh, of course, it, it was uh, written as well by, by Jane Campion uh, and the cinematography, which I'm sure we will bring up, is by Ari Wegner. Um, now, there, I don't know if there's any need to get into spoilers. If there is, then we can add a spoiler section. If there's not, then we won't, we, we won't bother. Um, but we'll just start you off. Uh, what did you think about The Power of the Dog? Now, I believe you didn't just see this when it came out on Netflix. I believe you saw this quite a while ago, correct? Uh, yeah, I saw this at the beginning of October. Um, yeah. I got to see it as part of the London Film Festival. Um, and I was lucky enough to see it on the big screen. And I say lucky enough because it is definitely um, a film that is better suited for the cinema screen because it is gorgeous. Um, but when I did see it for the London Film Festival, I was very divided. I was very like stumped by it and it took me a while I had to sit with it for a long time over a month in fact before I could like fully articulate my thoughts on it um because it did not confuse me but I really didn't know how I felt about it um it's definitely a slow burn it's the this is the epitome of a slow burn and at times it feels glacial in its pacing but it never feels boring. I never felt bored by this. It's so engaging and captivating, even though it's so slow. Um, And I think that is a a testament to Jane Campion's writing, the fact that there are a lot of scenes where not much is happening, but I constantly felt like I was on the edge of something, like something was about to happen. It's, It's so tense and full of this, like, tension that's what tense is um but it was so enthralling every second was like i I can't take my eyes off this i I can't look away even though not really anything important is happening i was completely engaged with it every second i think that cumberbatch this is one of his well i think this is his best performance um he's he's completely changed um normally he plays kind of nice people well not necessarily nice people arrogant people but good people um and this is a completely different role for him he's playing this completely sadistic farmer um and he is fantastic he really is fantastic um as is Krista, uh, kirsten dunst who i have thought was called kristen dunst for about 10 years um but kirsten dunst is fantastic in this she plays Rose who is pushed to like the edge of sanity by Phil um, and she gets pushed into alcoholism and it's a, a really sad performance to see um, she, her, just her character get 
completely broken down by this man uh, and it's really sad to see jesse plemons is great but he doesn't really do much for me he's not he doesn't really have much to do uh on this in the anywhere near on the same level as the other actors uh cody smith mcphee is another highlight he plays this really um at times strange kid um but a very very human character as well with very kind of relatable problems um and it's a very interesting exploration of toxic masculinity and how toxic masculine uh, how toxic masculinity impacts queer men and women um and it was a really really interesting thing to see um about that delving into kind of the phil's history with bronco henry and phil taking out his anger because phil is gay taking out his anger on everyone around him on rose and then he finally finds peter played by cody smith mcphee um and at first he kind of targets him to make fun of and then he befriends him to at first you kind of think that it's to rid him of any kind of femininity because peter's a very effeminate young person uh, he kind of makes flowers and he doesn't like get his hands dirty on the ranch um and phil kind of befriends him to kind of make him this masculine manly man uh, but in the end he sees himself in peter and they set they share some scenes that are very emotional and at times i think intentionally uncomfortable and they were really really well acted and, and really fantastic um i thought the score was incredible and it, it added to the tension that i was talking about um and when you've got a film that is this slowly paced when you've just got scenes where you're not really seeing anything sorry you're not really hearing anything there's not much dialogue it's just kind of visual storytelling you need a score and the score really really embraces the um slow burn pacing that campion has crafted in this and johnny greenwood who also did the score for spencer i think um he is on top form here it, it, it's genuinely great i could easily see him like for me he should get double nominated for his score on this and his score on Spencer. They're absolutely fantastic, both of them. It's an amazing film. It's beautiful. The cinematography, Ari Wagner's cinematography, who did Zola as well, one of the best cinematographers uh, of the past year, um, whose cinematography I've loved this year, Zola, uh, we both agreed, one of the most beautiful films of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and Power of the Dog is no different. This is a breathtakingly gorgeous film. And getting to see it, on a cinema screen i'm so happy that i did so unbelievably happy that i did because this film is gorgeous to look at and it would be gorgeous on a tv i haven't seen it since i saw it in the cinema um i haven't had time to rewatch it on netflix um because i've been too busy watching a christmas prince um <laughs> but i it's so so gorgeous to look at and i'm so happy that i managed to see it in the cinema because it's absolutely stunning the cinematography is gorgeous it's this ultra wide screen uh cinematography with very wide lenses um i think it's even panavision so it's really wide um and it's gorgeous the, some of the landscapes that are just completely desolate and then some of the incredible close-ups of the characters faces um are just absolutely stunning and this is i genuinely don't have any technical complaints to me this is as flawless mm -hmm. technically as a film can be the one issue that i did have with this film and this is the thing that's stumped me and i have kind of um 
gotten over it isn't the right word because it wasn't necessarily an issue it was just the thing that stumped me uh, when I first came out of it is I I didn't feel like Phil's torment of Rose was explored enough like hmm. um I, I I read the book a few weeks before I saw it and throughout the book obviously because it's a book you have a lot more time you really feel the torment and you feel the abuse that Phil inflicts on Rose and in the film you don't really get that for me there, there's kind of one scene that is an excellent scene but it doesn't justify kind of the um impact it has on Rose like I don't feel the the thing we see the things we see Rose do afterwards like the alcoholism and the depression that she gets thrown into I don't feel that that's kind of justified by what we see on screen like there's one scene where she's playing the piano and then Phil kind of um combats that he plays I think it's a banjo and he plays the banjo much better than she can play the piano and there's that and then he kind of mocks her about that and then he embarrasses her in front of his um his family in front of George's family, their brothers, so it's the same family, um, and there's that, but there's not much else, and I feel like Rose is terrified of Phil, and there's one line where she's like, he's just a man, he's just another man, like, he, he can't do anything, he's only a man, and I'm like, I, I didn't, like, I didn't feel like her terror was justified, because all he did, all we saw, was he kind of mocked her, and I was like, that doesn't, to me, justify being absolutely horrified of him and not wanting your son to spend any time with him because you're you're scared it's not that you just don't like him she's actively terrified of him to the point where she is pushed into alcoholism she starts drinking uh, uncontrollably throughout the day um, and she's when she finds out that her son peter has been spending time with him she's scared for his life and she's terrified of what phil's gonna do and i just didn't feel like that was justified enough like we didn't see enough of what she went through to warrant her kind of n- not her reaction but the the ending not the ending the um the her character arc that she goes through like she she's scared to leave her room because she doesn't want to be near Phil and i just didn't feel like that was justified i didn't feel like we saw enough of the um abuse that Phil did to her. Um, so yeah, that was my issue with it. And I have kind of moved past that because I do think it's a, a, a stunning film and I think it has a lot to say about masculinity and its impact on people. But that one thing, I just, it, I didn't feel like it was explored enough. I feel like we could have seen it in different ways. It could have justified it a little bit more because it, it feels wrong to say that I wanted to see... <laughs> Kirsten Dunst's character suffer more and that's not what I mean but I just feel like we needed to see a bit more um, abuse from Phil a bit more torment from Phil to her to to justify how scared she was of him Um, because I but this is kind of a testament to Kirsten Dunst's performance I still believed her like when she was terrified of him I believed that she was terrified and I was scared of him for her as well, even if I didn't necessarily, like I say, buy how scared she was or think she should be that scared. I completely bought it and I was like, yeah, this woman is terrified of this man and Mm -hmm. she does it absolutely fantastically. 
And she's actually, I think it's between her and Cody Spick McPhee, my favourite performances in this film. I know Benedict Cumberbatch is kind of getting the the brunt of the praise, but for me, it's Kirsten Dunst and Cody Smith McPhee who who take the cake. But yeah, that's that's kind of my only issue on it is that I just didn't feel like the torment was shown enough. It wasn't explored enough. But as I said, technically, this is a masterpiece. This is a technical marvel. It, it does not get better than this. Jane Campion is, is one of the best directors ever, I think. And she's had a break for the past. I think she's not made a film for twelve years. I think it's twelve years. It's definitely over a decade. Um, and this is her like big triumphant return, and it has been very much worth the wait. This is as good as it gets from a director. You know, mm-hmm. she is in control yeah. of this story. She's in control of this film in a way that most directors should aim to achieve. Like this is genuinely incredibly impressive uh, from her as a, as a writer as well. The fact that she's crafted this story and these characters that are so different and so well fleshed out, and then she's directed it so well. It's just that this is a technical marvel, ma- uh, technical marvel, and it's shockingly good on a technical level um, and on a human level as well. Like I said, the uh, the themes that run throughout about Phil and him being gay and Cody Smith McPhee, uh, Peter being potentially gay as well. Um, those themes that run throughout are so well crafted and well woven into the story. Um, and the only issue I had was that small thing about Phil and Rose, but this is genuinely one of the best films of the year easily for me. And I absolutely loved it. Okay. Um, a lot of thoughts in there. Um, a lot, a lot to me to, to respond to and not to think about. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know what thoughts on that. I've been wanting to done. get that out. Yeah, yeah I think I've been wanting to get that out for over a month. About <laughs> yeah, like twenty minutes, I think. Yeah, um, I've had like over a month to mellow with that, and I finally got it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, what do I think of, of the power of the dog, and what do I think compared to you? So I had this very much hyped up. This this won the uh, best direction uh, at the Venice Film Festival, and I've had you yep. hyped up for me. Uh, you didn't tell me what it was about. I didn't know anything it was about at all. Um, so I kind of, um, I wasn't sure what to expect. Well, I had high expectations. And I think kind of echoing a bit of what you said, um, it matched it completely on a technical level, um, but did not go so far, I think, in terms of a thematic level. Uh, for me, you know, I think it would be hard to, you know, just to echo a lot of things you said, it would be hard to, to talk about many films looking better um it, it looks gorgeous and and say so the, the the way that the the nature and the scenery and the surroundings are, are shot is absolutely beautiful and even a lot of the uh, close-ups are done so well and i think the the time and the patience that ari wegner has uh with his cinematography uh really pays off and it, it looks tremendous um the only the only films that i could there's a few films it wouldn't necessarily be up there for the the like the actual top of the year, it's obviously in the conversation. Probably would be my favourite one of the, the only, one of the only films I could say I clearly prefer would be Zola, which he also directed. He also did cinematography for. Sorry, um, as they, the devil works hard, but Benedict Cumberbatch works harder. I feel like he is in every single film. The amount of things that he has done over the last ten years, I mean, it's 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 insane. I think he is um, Mr. Versatile. I mean, he is best known in Britain. Um, definitely for his performance of Sherlock Holmes in, in Sherlock, who is a very emotionless um, and, and 
and flawed hero. Um, but at the end, of the day, but at the end, of the day, yeah, he is still a hero despite that. He still is the protagonist. Um, but if you look throughout his career, he's pretty much fairly evenly done as much uh, work as basically as a goodie or a baddie. He's pretty fifty-fifty on it. Um, with an awful lot of excellent performances. Again, he's probably best known in America for playing a superhero, playing Doctor Strange. Um, and, the, and he has to play such a different, completely separate character. You know, he the kind of emotionless, you know, baddie, uh, emotionless, um, sorry, uh, protagonist that he plays in, in Sherlock or in when he plays uh, Alan Turing, who's obviously um, autistic in, in the, in the uh, imitation game. Um, and then playing someone like, you know, obviously, Doctor Strange, or playing bad bad guys like he played Khan in Star Trek Into Darkness, or when he's playing this kind of um, slightly unaware, very much not the intelligent type he usually played in The Courier that we saw earlier this year. He was kind of just an accident that he happens to be involved in that. Um, the fact that he played both bad guys in in the um, Hobbit series, he played both Smaug and Sauron. Um, he played both the goodie and the baddie in Doctor Strange. He played Dormammu. Uh, he played Thomas Edison recently. You know the, the, what he can do. You know he is an expert when it comes to incredibly emotional characters, incredibly emotionless characters, good characters, bad characters, um, confused characters, arrogant characters. He is Mister Versatile, uh, and the fact that he's he's done this after you know the two films we've talked about him in recently. The Courier and Mauritanian. The Power of the Dog, you know, it's as different a performance because he's he's a villain in the sense that he is clearly trying to cause bad things to happen, but he is not a traditional um, just out there for, for the sake of being evil. He's a confused, he is a damaged, he is a very, very interesting character uh, of, of Phil. And I think that, you know, it really would have taken a very strong form. So the fact that in the way that the story goes... I think that any performance outside of a, a, something that blows your mind, outside of a top, top, top performance like we get from Cumberbatch, the way that the script is written, I think this is all set up for Dunst's character to get the praise. I think that she has to deal with a lot of that emotional baggage in a very different way. She's a lot more outwardly emotional and you see her face alcoholism. I think that it's a lot easier, not I'm not putting any because nuts, but I think it's a lot easier to get praise in that role. And the fact that Cumberbatch is like the one person that's been getting nominations and talk and he's the main kind of face of this project I think shows just how good he is um, but it's a real ensemble piece of course Kirsten Dunst I think you know she, she's wonderful Coast McVee is wonderful and Jesse Plemons doesn't do anything wrong when he's on screen I think early on the first act you know he's as good as anyone but his character becomes less important um you know, the performances are excellent. The the cinematography is excellent as I mentioned you talked about the music Johnny Greenwood it's it's Again, probably not as good as Spencer, but it's got this really... If you had Netflix subtitles on, which obviously you didn't because you're in the cinema, it can, every time the music starts, it, pretty much every single time, it says, open brackets, uneasy music plays or <laughs> uncomfortable music plays. And it really is. It's a very uneasy yeah. score. It's a very, very uncomfortable score. It's kind of got you itching and crawling in your skin the whole time. It, it's, all, it's kind of sounds like one notes out every time and it kind of creates this really kind of um tense feeling of like your skin crawling like oh what's gonna happen oh you kind of have a feeling of, of discontent being sown um and it's wonderful uh but ultimately i just didn't necessarily feel like i connected with it it felt 
in some ways, like, I really admired everything it was doing, but I never really felt like I was in the story. I never felt particularly directly connected. I just, I was watching this from afar and going, wow, that's a good performance. Wow, he's done well there. What a good line reading. Oh my God, that shot is beautiful. That sounds wonderful. But I never truly felt immersed. And I did feel bored throughout this film. I did feel bored. Fair few times I paused it and went on my phone for a bit because I don't know, it's just something about it. It never really kept me up entertaining enough and I think I'm not necessarily against slow pacing I don't I'm not an idiot I don't need you know films to have explosions and stuff I, I can deal with a lot of slow burns but here the power of the just, dog needed more action scenes is what you're saying I think the power of the dog needed more <laughs> sex scenes is what I'm saying um which obviously it certainly could have had um and I don't know it's just something about it it just didn't necessarily get me involved I, again i just i couldn't truly connect with it and i can appreciate all, everything from it and i can say you know that everything's good but i actually think that i'd compare this quite similarly to my thoughts on nomadland I, I, part of every part of me wants to love nomadland and every time i go to watch it and i've watched it three times every time i go to watch it i i i think so she's second that i now i thought about it i like this i'm gonna watch it i'm gonna love it and then an hour in i'm kind of bored as much as I, I think it just I just can't find a place to step into the story. And I just I don't know, there's something about it. There's, there's a, some really good messaging, really great performances. I really like the the ending. Uh, I think the third act, the end of the third act is the highlight of the film. And that I did connect with Tamora de Grau. I really was engaged for the last fifteen minutes. But up until that point, I did kind of feel like I was just watching some some um, ranchers walking around for a bit uh, and I, I I think there there are points where it didn't feel like that like the the scenes of intense torment uh, but overall it just something it just didn't necessarily tick my boxes and I don't know why but for me it, it couldn't be as highly rated as I'd like it to be fair enough yeah I guess it is a in, even though it is a story of emotion it does do at points mean, yeah. feel emotionally Distant, kind of yeah yeah, distant, yeah. I did feel at times I was kind of watching from the periphery rather than I was in it. Mm. Um, but it was very good. And I, I, I do know what you mean as well, yeah. I do also just want to say that Ari Wagner is a woman, not a man. Is Ari Wagner a man? Really? Yeah. Congratulations to Ari Wagner for being, for being a woman. <laughs> Congratulations <Yeah>. for... Uh... <laughs> so being... Well, to be fair, is, you know, I say it jokingly, but you know, there's not many... Um, not many... Uh, female cinematographers in the industry. No, there are. And, uh, There's only so, one woman has ever been nominated for the Oscar for Best Cinematography. Which was recently, right? Uh, yeah, it was only a few years ago. I don't remember what it was, but it was only a few years ago. Yeah, okay, sorry. Um, I was thinking but of yeah. Ari, as in Ari Aster. You know, that, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, but yeah, um, um, I think Ari Wagner and uh, Claire Mathlin are two of the best cinematographers of, the, of this year. Yeah, yeah, oh, two of the best 100%. cinematographers of the year, yeah. um, and I really think that um, two women should be nominated for the Oscar for best cinematography because Power of the Dog. I think she should get nominated. You for specifically Zola, say two because happen. you wouldn't like the idea of more than two, though, wouldn't you? Because you still want more. Yeah, two women. at most. Yeah, no exactly. more than two. It's just making sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think this and and Spencer are two of the best looking films of the year that are in awards conversation. As we've both said, Zola is kind of yeah, next level so well it's with and green knight as well which is also not and green knight yes that's yeah. true um but kind of of the films that are in conversation mm -hmm. i think this mm -hmm. and um 
Spencer are two of the most beautiful films of the year. Um, but yeah, I do agree with you. It, it, it does feel at times very distant, and I do feel like I was watching from afar rather than I was emotionally invested in it. Um, but I kind of, at times, I felt that way. But at the same time, I felt the opposite way other times. Like the scene with, um, it's I can't remember how long it is, but the sequence in the second act when Phil and, and Peter go away, they go away together, um, they go riding. That was one of the best sequences of the year because as I was watching it, obviously I'd, I'd read it so I knew that this didn't happen. Um, so this is kind of a spoiler in that this is something that doesn't happen in The Power of the Dog. Um, but as I was watching it, I was kind of thinking like, if, if you didn't know what was happening, is Phil taking Peter away to kill him? Like, is he going to kill him? You don't know what was going to happen. I felt very tense at that moment because you're thinking, you know, Peter's taking this young kid that he kind of doesn't, maybe he doesn't like, maybe he does. We've not really explored their relationship enough yet. What what What's going to happen? And then the the scenes that follow of them talking and just riding, and then they um they set up camp. Some of the best scenes and some of the most well acted scenes of the year. And then the scenes when they're uh, in the barn with Bronco Henry talking about Bronco Henry is one of the most. And I said this intention. It's intentional, but it's it's a very uncomfortable scene um, where it it kind of feels for a moment that something's going to happen intimately, and it feels very uncomfortable. Um, and I think that was intentional. That was the vibe that they were going for. Um, yeah, there are bounds that weren't crossed that I very much assumed they were going to cross until yeah. the very last minute. Um, yeah, hundred percent. It's like they went right up to the line, but they didn't. They mm. didn't go over it. Mm. Mm. Um, and it, it, I, I, at those moments, I did feel very emotionally invested in it. I felt very emotionally invested in in Peter and in. I, uh, I think the from the, the start of the scene. With the scene in which a cigarette is shared towards the end, right? They're in the yes. barn together. That from the start of that scene to the end, especially of that scene of the film, but especially that scene, I was gripped. That 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 scene yeah. in the barn is is excellent. Um, it's one of the best scenes of the year, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's stunning. And like you were saying, that the close-ups of the cinematography as well. Uh, there are some shots that kind of feel like micro photography. You know, when you see those photos of like a leaf really up close some of the shots kind of verge on that like there's there are a few close-up shots of peter making his paper flowers that he makes and you get these hyper close-ups of the paper and of the flowers and then you get hyper close-ups of um this is the one shot that's in the trailer of kind of a plant blowing in the wind with blood dripping down on it and it's just great it's so stunning yeah it's such a gorgeous film yeah. Um, but then, like I say, I, I do disagree with about the emotional thing at times. But then, as a whole, I mm. do agree. Yeah, mm. this is mm. quite an emotionally distant film. There's um <laughs> this this point is going to seem weird until I make the the next one. Um, there's this thing uh that the Liverpool fans say in football. Um, this only Mo Salah, only Salah is is a very common like thing that Liverpool fans say because so many statistics start with things like. Only Mo Salah has more goals outside has more goals outside the box this season than dot dot dot. So like every good statistic you give to players, you have to first clarify that Salah has got more. Only Salah has scored more left footed goals than um, Rafinha or, or whatever. Uh, so it's always you have to qualify it by getting out first. I almost feel like see, this is a weird segue, right? Uh, I only feel I feel a little bit like that with Spencer. 
because everything I want to praise, I need to quickly go, except for Spencer. Like when I was talking about, think, I was going to say, oh, you know, I think Mendy Cumberbatch is up there with one of the best performances of the year, except for Spencer. And it was like, yeah. cinematography is great, except for Spencer. Like, it's one of the best cinematography, except mm. for Spencer. And then you said about oh, one of the best scenes in the year. And in my head, I was thinking, yeah, but it's except really good, Spencer, but yeah. it's not as good as Spencer. <laughs> like that scene of the, the pearls. It's like, yeah, it, it, that's for me, that's, I have to qualify everything. So uh, we have to see, because obviously a lot of the big awards films still haven't been released. Things like Tragedy Macbeth and uh, Belfast and things like that. I still haven't seen yet. Where's that story? Mm. Um, so I have to see where I am at the end of the award season. But I think with the more films I see that are in these conversations, you know, these are two films that are both awards films we're talking about today, House of Gucci and, and this, film, films that have been talked about for months of being awards winners. Both of them, you know, as I watch these and as I watch more, I actually is making myself uh, more and more sure of how much I love Spencer. Um, we only reviewed it a couple episodes ago, but it, it truly is definitely shaping up to be one of my favourites of the year because it, just th- talking about other films... It's making me now go on a weird tangent about Spencer. That's how much I like Spencer. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, d- I do completely that. agree. I, I would argue, though, that the the cinematography of Spencer and Power of the Dog is so different that in my head I can't really compare mm. them. Like, I can't say Spencer was better, and I can't say that Power of the Dog was better because they're so different. You know, they're, yeah. so, they're completely different styles of cinematography, completely different styles of telling a story. Um, so I, I can't even say that Spencer was better or Power of the Dog was better. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that will be a conversation we have to have near uh, Oscar time because yeah. that was the conversation that we all had about the editing category last year is that the editing between films like Judas and um, mm. The Father and Nomadland was so different in style and Sound of Metal yeah. was so different in style that it was like a matter of like, it's hard to say which one was better because it's completely yeah. different uses of editing. Uh, it's interesting yeah, that the films originally... Me. Sorry. Sorry, you go first. I was going to say, uh, originally this film was uh, meant to car- star uh, Cumberbatch with Elizabeth Moss as in Kirsten Dunst's role um, and um, Paul Dano in Jesse Plemons role. So it's very interesting that film that we could have got um, that unfortunately I think COVID stopped us from having. But, you know, hmm. maybe, I don't say unfortunately, it's not like Kirsten Dunst was, I wouldn't be surprised if Kirsten Dunst was, was better than Elizabeth Moss or uh, both of my great yeah. actresses. But yeah, there's another film out there that in the universe. Yeah. And and you'll you'll like you just mentioned editing in passing. The editing in this film is so good. Every every cut is is methodical. This is a, a an unbelievably thought out film. Like this is a methodical film, and the editing yeah. is is this and Petite Maman are two of the best edited films I've seen of the year. Um, the edit it's just so well edited. Like like I, I said, I genuinely when it comes to technicalities films do not get better than this this is mm, mm. technically flawless like i cannot think of something wrong with this on a technical mm. level on a technical level yeah I, I pretty much agree i think yeah. um there might be films that i like more on a technical level but i couldn't oh, yeah. say anything in this is wrong um, yeah yeah okay um i remember so we we need to move on because we talked for too long about this um, but before <laughs> yeah. we do, just quickly, um, I, I just wanted to say that when you came down to London and we were talking about The Fair of the Dog uh, before I'd seen it, you said you have to watch this film in the, the cinema. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't see the cinema. But, you know, you said you have to see it in the cinema. Or whatever. I just didn't have the opportunity, unfortunately. Uh, and you said, and the same thing you said with Mass, actually, you said both of them, is that the, they had a particularly interesting or kind of unique use of cinematography. Um 
Now, do you, is there anything that you specifically meant by that for this film? Is there anything that you think particularly was was different about or interesting about the way that cinematography was used rather than just it being good? I don't remember saying that about Power of the Dog. <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying it about both of them. Uh, yeah, me, I know what just... I meant about Mass. I remember exactly what I meant about Mass. Um, but Power of the Dog, interesting use of cinematography. I don't know what I meant by that. Maybe to be honest, the, I don't remember. Maybe you just, maybe just spout <laughs> shite. Uh, yeah. I had no, I had no way to, 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 to say you were wrong at that point. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Maybe I okay. was just talking rubbish for no reason. But I remember mm. exactly what I meant. My point about Mass is very valid, and when we come to Mass, I'll, I'll talk about it then. If that ever um, comes out. Yeah, that's true. When is but I have no idea what I meant about Power of the Dog. That is odd. Mm. But it is like, and I, talking about the cinematography briefly before we move on, I do think the fact that this is being released on Netflix is going to impact its chances at winning awards for cinematography because this is, what seeing this on the big screen was breathtakingly gorgeous. It was stunning on the big screen. I get as almost as much. I didn't watch this in 4K because I'm at university, not at home. Hmm. But I get almost as much pleasure from watching cinemat- like good cinematography in 4K as I do watching it on the cinema screen. To be honest, is yeah. that a controversial opinion? Perhaps I don't know. But I, I think if the if the the, uh, the people that are watching it at, if the because the people are watching it at home, like the Oscars uh, voters, they're not going to have to watch hmm. it in the Oscars app. They can watch it on Netflix. They might be able to watch it in 4K, which would be a, an advantage. Yeah, that's true. 4K right. doesn't necessarily do that. Do it for me. Mm, maybe she's an idiot. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe you haven't seen true Dolby Vision. Uh, it feels like I haven't seen Kirsten Dunst anything recently, so it's nice to see her back. Uh, maybe maybe I'm forgetting something, but I haven't seen her in ages. Yeah. Um, I recently watched. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. It's something about Florida being a. Is it being a god in Central Florida? Something like that. It's a show about she gets kind of in ravelled in a pyramid scheme. Oh, uh, and I it's see. A, it's a really funny show. Oh, okay. That's nice. it. Yeah. But that's that's really good as well. It got cancelled. But we must move on. Yeah, it did. Depressingly, I hope we get it back because it. Well, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's wrap this up by giving our rating and our man of the match. Now I'm going to start off by giving my rating, and I'm going to say that for all of the technical marvels, I did struggle to connect with it, and I think that is makes it hard to love, because I would never really have a true, like, I would be thinking about it. The story didn't necessarily bury itself deep in my veins like a dune sandworm looking for its prey. Um, so I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. Um, well, while I agree with most of the things that you said and the criticism that you have, I did love it a little bit more than you, which is why I've given it an 8.5 out of 10. Okay. Okay, very good stuff. Um... Right, I've, I, I I don't know. I feel like I need to quickly add something in here because I need to prepare myself for talking about Hazaguchi because this well, we is need to do Man of the Match cool. first, don't we? Oh, of course we do. Oh yeah, <laughs> this is why I've got you here, eh? Um, yeah. <laughs> do you have a Man of the Match ready? Uh, yeah, I do. Is it Ari Wagner? It it is Ari Wagner. Yeah, my I woman of the match. <laughs> um, technically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Harry Wagner. Yeah, uh, cinematography is beautiful, and it's the most notable thing about the film. Very, yeah. very unlucky for Benny, Benny Cumberbatch, to not get it because he was also excellent for mm. me. I know you said I do contemplate giving it to Jane Campion, but the cinematography is just undeniably gorgeous. Yeah, it's the first Jane Campion film that I'd seen, so maybe I should consider uh, looking back at the piano, which is one that's talked about so yes, much. The piano is is wonderful. Mm. Um, so. Let's let's go on. Um, 
It's I feel time. bad that I didn't... Um, huh? It's time to get on to House of Gucci. <laughs> I feel bad that I didn't watch the new series Doctor Who from the start because I'm hearing such positive stuff. So I'm going to have to try and binge it all. Um, and it's coming up the last episode next week on Sunday. So uh, I'm really excited because I'm seeing a lot of people in, in the Doctor Who kind of community talking about it being perhaps the best series since the uh, revival started. So I'm particularly excited about that. Interesting. Just trying to thought I'd just trying to fill some time before yeah. I finally get on to talking about House of Gucci. I feel like no film that I've talked about more as of late, other than maybe superhero films. Um, House of Gucci is a by uh, a I think semi biographical or, or biographical um, drama, uh, comedy drama, uh, directed by Ridley Scott, which looks at um, Patricia Rajani. Uh, who's played here by Lady Gaga, um, as she marries Maurizio Gucci, played by Adam Driver, uh, to get into when gets into the of the Gucci family. She kind of gets involved in the Gucci family, and it follows her life, uh, her relationships with other members of the Gucci family, played by the likes of Jeremy Irons, uh, uh, Al Pacino, um, uh, and Jared Leto. Did I say Jared Leto twice? Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Al Pacino. It's the three names I want to say. Um, and uh, there's this infighting for power uh, between different kind of groups uh, of people involved in Gucci. Uh, there is fighting between members of the family that particularly don't like each other. There is deceit and backstabbing and a murder attempt. Um, and it's all goes tits up. Um, and it's again, it's been one of the films that I've had the most people talking to me about. I've had so many people ask me, when's it coming out? I'm you know, talking about going and seeing first day. Oh my God, you've seen that cast for that Gucci film. Um, and, and, you know, it feels like it's been talked about. It was the top of my list that I released earlier in the year, uh, about a month ago or two months ago. I released a list of films that I was most excited for. It topped that list. Um, and it's received a lot of praise for certain aspects. It's received some criticism from other aspects. I'd say it has generally had a more negative response than I imagined it to. Um, but there's been generally unanimous praise for Lady Gaga. Um, there's been a lot of praise for Jared Leto um, and other aspects of the film. So, uh, the and also it was written by Becky Johnson and Roberto Bentevenga. So, um, let's get this started. So, I had seen a lot of negativity in the days up to me watching House Gucci. I only watched House Gucci today, so it's been out for over a week, and I've seen a lot of negativity. I've seen some positivity. I've seen criticisms of the performance of a lot of actors. Uh, I've seen a lot of people who have been praised by other people being hated on by others, namely Jared Leto, who seems to be very Marmite here. Um, and I came in here a little bit scared because I wanted to love this film so much. I wanted it to be good. Um, but I was terrified because of the opinion. And I'm going to say, I was right to be hyped because I absolutely loved House of Gucci. Absolutely loved it. Um, it's such an interesting film. It, it's it's two hours and 40 minutes long and it, it doesn't necessarily narrow in on specific, it hasn't got one specific plot point that the folk film focuses around. It is more of a telling of their lives. Uh, and I think that there is some, there are definitely flaws here, but there's something like the charm, the excellent screenplay, the wonderful comedy, the performances, and just the overall, and for, to sound like a, you here, vibe of this film, absolutely just makes me forget that more, there's probably way more criticisms um, for this film uh, than I should be when I'll, I'll talk about it so positively for a film that I will have criticisms for. 
Um, at the end of the day, people have talked about it not knowing what it wants to be. There is a talk of, of tonal uh, clashing or it wants to be kind of uh, a comedy. It wants to be lighthearted, but then it also wants to be taken seriously and have this serious drama. The way I interpreted it was as the film starts, um, there is this Gucci family and they are the, this is set in the, in the eighties or, or the late starts, in the late seventies throughout the eighties and the nineties. The film starts Gucci, the Gucci family are kind of a joke, a laughing stock. They are not necessarily because of their reputation within the fashion world, but they are this kind of old symbol of wealth. They are to the point of kind of self parody in the way that, you know, the way that the, especially the Paolo Gucci is showing that they've got to the point where they are, are so kind of Gucciified. They're so, you know, a, a caricature of themselves that it's actually got to the point where they are, are, are ugly or kind of repulsive in their look. But they've all got this campness to them that has come from this. It's, it's incredibly lighthearted. The, the Gucci family and, Jared Leto and Al Pacino are these camp caricatures. Um, Jeremy Irons, who plays the father of Maurizio, who's Adam Driver's character, he plays father. He is so fictional in his composition. He is like a Bruce Wayne, this kind of ridiculous playboy, kind of the way that he's shown and the clothes he wears and the way that he treats his family. He's seen as this playboy. And Maurizio is this kind of light-hearted, happy-go-lucky. He's kind of ha- he's he's kind of go outside the family, but he's you know the film starts off. He's still got a good relationship with his dad, and he's kind of always smiling. And he's the the, the way that he talks to Patrizia, and then Patrizia is this woman that is not involved in wealth. She works for a trucking firm that her father owns, uh, but she's determined and she's methodical. But she she is, in a world of fictional, these fictional characters, of these self-parodies, of these things, she is a real human being. And when she first meets Maurizio, she gets pulled into it. She becomes lively. She becomes comedic. She becomes camp because she is pulled into this world. But then over time, as she starts to get her talons in as she becomes manipulative and methodical and driven and arrogant and determined she gets her fingers her claws into everyone around her she converts Maurizio Gucci from this happy-go-lucky um kind of you know who you know who cares attitude you know he's he's got he just focuses on his law he doesn't really care about the Gucci family he she persuades him into being this cold heartless business focused Gucci obsessed businessman and even the situations around the characters of Al Pacino and Jared Leto who are the most over the top characters she manages to essentially I don't want to go spoilers but by the end kind of ruins them with this you know bitterness and turns them against their own family she, her influence really gets into them uh, and the same with Jeremy Irons Jeremy Irons starts off as this loving father and through her presence not necessarily her actions but her presence she tears the family apart I think the idea of this kind of comedy silly family that it, it kind of is a little bit you know larger than life and this this kind of wrecking ball that goes through it made for not a tone of whiplash but a wonderful beautiful juxtaposition and the story of two different emotions and two different stories battling against each other to see you can come out and the strong personalities that clash here create this wonderful 
fight in the middle, this this wonderful battle over shares and stocks, but realistically is a, a butting of heads and personalities. That I think was wonderful to watch. Um, there are areas I, I have with things like the fact that. I will talk about it later. I think the editing is very poor here. I think there's perhaps the film starts with some uh, bad colour grading. But I'm forgetting about the negatives because just witnessing these, you know, ultra personalities going at each other. And they're so defined, these characters. Uh, it's just wonderful to watch. Lady Gaga, I, you know, I think, you know, I've, I've, you've broken the, the, the rule uh, of not tweeting about the thing, and I think I've seen you criticise Lady Gaga. I thought Lady Gaga was absolutely wonderful. She isn't, you know, obviously, <laughs> but Christian Stewart, you know, like but Spencer, she's obviously not up there with that. But the way that she transforms, I mean, it's like looking at a photo of Prince Yaguchi, the way she talks, the way she acts, the way she looks. It is, you know, if you look at clips of, of Prince Yaguchi, it's wonderful how she manages to fit into these shoes. Okay, now Adam Driver doesn't necessarily look that much like his counterpart, but the performance he has is excellent. Everyone's talking about uh, Jared Leto, whether they love him, whether they hate him. I'll actually say that I perhaps love him slightly less than some of his, the people that, that saw him as like the only good part of the film. And I think my mum, who texted me with a very positive review after the film, she watched it a few days before I did, she said about how great Jared Leto was. I admired his uh, personality. I think it was important for that. That's what I said about those two kind of two tones clashing. Uh, but, you know, he, I thought it was a good performance. I didn't absolutely adore it, but I thought he was good. Um, you know, the only, the only thing is that the only thing that I thought was noticeable is that Jeremy Irons can't do an Italian accent. Um, but other than that, I thought the performance was wonderful. Al Pacino was wonderful. Sam Hayek was wonderful. But most of all, for me, Lady Gaga really stood out. Um, and, it, you know, it was the wonderful being in that world. It, the production design, the costume design was excellent. The 80s feel that it created, especially, it really like, kind of feels the most real when it's in its 80s section before it kind of goes into the 90s. Um, and the, the choice of music here was so well picked. And goes so well. The music choice is some absolutely classic jukebox kind of soundtrack. Beautiful tunes fit so well with the story. It kind of has that that kind of that that vibe to it that is always supplemented so well by it. Um, it it's funny when it wants to be. It's serious when it wants to be. I have some problems. The ending feeling a little rushed. I actually think that they perhaps should focus a bit earlier on a. The film should revolve around an earlier plot point than it kind of ultimately does. Um, but oh, but at the end of the day, for all the small errors I have, okay, the editing was poor. Actually, the editing was I was out, the editing was outright poor. I really did not like it. Aside from those small errors, I think that just that everything about what what made this film so Gucci made this film so good to me. You know, I, I just think that there's a wonderful set of performances that create this beautiful world that I was happy to be in. Now, I don't think it sailed through its runtime. It's you know two hours and thirty, two hours forty minutes, but. I did not ever feel boring. I never was looking at my watch. It was always entertaining. Um, and, you know, I could have dealt with more of it because I know <laughs> this week really Scott's talked about how he's got more, you know, he cut it down and there might be a director's cut. Sounds good to me because I'd love to hear more because it, it never, I never felt bored. Uh, even the um, kind of more supporting performances like Camille Cotine um, and uh, Yusuf uh, Kirkor, who's more known to, to English audiences. Um, he was in Pirates the other day, actually. Um, He's yeah. All those, even those supporting performances were so strong. Um, so for me, um, yeah, I I kind of I don't necessarily know if this is what I thought it was going to be, but this is everything I wanted it to be, and I absolutely loved it. Now here you are. You're going to go trash it for the next twenty minutes, and then we're going to have to have a little complaint about each other. So <laughs> go ahead. Well, uh, this is interesting because I I disagree with almost everything you've said. Um, this is one of the worst of the year for me. 
Um, the more I've thought about it, the less I like it. I don't think the screenplay is good. I think the screenplay is one of the worst things about it. It's awful. It's cheesy. Um, I think the acting is simultaneously over the top and not over the top enough. I think I could spend about 20 minutes talking about Jared Leto. He is simultaneously the worst and the best thing about this. I think if everyone did what Jared Leto did, this would be better. Or if Jared Leto, Jared Leto did what everyone else was doing, this would be better. Um, I I don't think this is... I think this does take itself too seriously. I don't think this is trying to be a comedy. The way that I've seen the cast talk about this, the way that I've seen Ridley Scott talk about this, the fact that it's... The, the description and everything about it, I don't think this is trying to be a comedy. I definitely felt like I was laughing at it rather than laughing with it. Um, the moments where it tried to make me laugh, I didn't laugh. The moments where it tried to be serious, I was laughing at it. Um, the moment where uh, Patrizia confronts uh, Adam Driver, Maurizio or whatever, um, outside his house after I assume we can talk about the plot because it is based in, on real life. Well, yeah, I won't give specifics, but... Um, well, obviously, you know that she kills him because that's the plot of the film, so they get a divorce, and she confronts him, and I just thought I was just laughing at it. It was hilariously bad to me. Lady Gaga wasn't... Lady Gaga's performance wasn't hilariously bad, but the accents that weren't necessarily bad, just weird... Um, that is, to be fair, I don't think I think that's fairly that she sounds. I don't think it sounds unlike Patricia Gucci every Garney, To be fair, I, I do at times, especially it. in the moments where she's angry and emotional. I think she definitely slips in and out of Italian and in and out of Patrizia. Um, and that scene where she confronts Adam Driver and she's like, "I didn't know I married a monster." I was like, "This is just awful," and I just. Those moments were the moments I found funny. The moments where it was trying to make me laugh, I was laughing, but not with it. I was laughing at it. Like, Jared Leto's character is the comedic relief, but I wasn't laughing at... I wasn't laughing with the film, like, oh, yeah, he's saying funny things. I was just laughing at it. I was like, what he's saying isn't funny, but his performance is categorically hilarious, which is why it's one of the best things and one of the worst things, because... It's as though his performance is wild. It's as though everyone took downers and he took uppers before they started filming. He is just on something else. He, I don't know what on earth he is doing, but he is committed to it. And I respect the fuck out of that. He, he came onto set doing that and shared the screen with the understated Adam Driver and understated um, Jeremy Irons. And he didn't think, oh, I better tone it down. He leaned into it, and I respect that. Like, he just fully went into this bizarre thing, which is even weirder, because if you look at Paolo Gucci, he wasn't like that. This is completely Jared Leto. This isn't... He didn't look... Paolo Gucci didn't look like this. He didn't dress like this. This character is just Jared Leto's creation, and I respect that. I respect uh, that. Fair, I think Paolo Gucci did look like this. <laughs> Have you seen like, pictures of Paolo Gucci? Yeah, he looks—he literally looks like Jared Leto. To be fair, like in he this doesn't. Film. In this I don't film, think he does. does. I don't think I he, think he, he does. had. He had short, well-kept hair. No, he didn't. And he Jared Leto's hair is patch. like. Yeah, but the hair that he did have was well kept. Oh, it right. Was maybe neat. yeah, maybe yeah. It was slightly OTT, but he was, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. 
Okay, yeah, so and he dressed normally. He didn't wear like pink velour suits. No, the creative license. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because this is one of the worst dramas I've ever seen. This is just horrific. Like I, would, like I said, I was just laughing at it. Um, but as a parody, as an unintentional parody, this is genius. This is this mocks everything about crime dramas, and I don't think it does it on purpose. It's absolutely hilarious. And I said this when I came out of the cinema, I tweeted it. I feel as though everyone involved thought they were making 28 Days Later, but in reality they were making Shaun of the Dead. Like, they thought they were making a very serious film, but they were actually making parodies of a serious film. They were, actually, they were making a parody of serious films. Um, and I feel like no one in the film, other than Jared Leto, knew this. I think Al Pacino's performance was comically bad. His was comically bad. I thought it was shocking and positively subtle compared to Jared Leto. I think Adam Driver's performance was the best one. His was the most subtle. It was the most real. It was the most human. Um, And Lady Gaga, I thought, you know, was serviceable, but just not good at all. Not Certainly not in the conversation for Best Actress. She just won the New York Critics Best Actress. I don't know if I saw the same film as everyone else because she is... I thought she... I th- When I saw it, I was like, she's going to get nominated for an Oscar, obviously. I don't think she deserves it, but she's going to. Um, I think she's going to be one of the performances that gets an Oscar and a Razzie in the same year because this is... I don't think so at all. I don't think that... I think this that is bad. Almost all of the... the very little people have had issues with Gaga, to be fair. They Regardless have. of whether you... I do, do admit that. Lady Gaga has had rave reviews for this. Yeah, there's no very little chance. I do not I understand could, them. I could see... I can't see anyone getting Razzie, to be fair. But if, if it was anyone, I guess it would be Leto getting both nominations. But, I mean, I mean to be fair, I mean, yeah, I, I just strongly disagree. I think it's an excellent drama. I think what it turns into... No. You know, it's. I think it's wonderful how it starts off so upbeat and so carefree and ends up such a tense and and you know, interesting drama i think the way that it goes between those two vibes especially i around never found it interesting or tense <laughs> the, the, the way in which patricia Rigani completely shapes the narrative i think was fascinating and I, that I was fascinating that yeah but that's that's she completely more... single-handedly with her actions affects the tone of the film and i think that whilst the film needed centering and i feel like the um, the shareholding and the stocks uh, plot point should have been the main crux of the film opposed to the murder. I think that would have been a far better thing to revolve around. And the film felt like it was revolving around that until very late on. Whilst I think of that, the way that the film was constructed narratively in terms of the, the relationship between the characters and how they drive the narrative, I thought was, was excellent. Um, yeah, I think there are films that I didn't like um, at all that you thought were okay, like um, Red Notice, like um, Darren Hansen. There are films that I loved that you didn't mm. like that much, like The Friends Dispatch. I don't necessarily know if we're going to have many. In, if, we, if we do this podcast for 10 years, I don't know if there's any films that we're going to do where I have it as one of my favourites of the year and you have it as one of the worst of the year, but I could not disagree yeah. with you more. Um, I, I think that, I mean, I think that, that Pacino is, is pretty good. I don't think he's, he's standout here. I think, you know, amongst a strong ensemble, he's one of the more forgettable ones. Um, mm. But I certainly wouldn't say he's bad. Um, 
I don't, I don't know. I thought it was a, a fascinating story. I think that the details of, of Patricia's life are, are fascinating. The way that she focuses so much on her, her medium, I think, is is a very interesting character and like obviously a very interesting person. Uh, I think the way it, it tied in with little elements here and there of the Gucci backstory and the introduction of Tom Ford and stuff that was very interesting. I, I really just like this. I thought that there are points where the screenplay is very cheesy. But I think the screenplay is fully aware of when it's cheesy and fully aware of when it's not. I didn't think that Monster Line was that bad. I didn't think I, at the cinema I didn't even notice it. I didn't stand out to me particularly positively or negatively. I think that the early on the film, when it is more happy to be cheesy and it's more happy to be comedic, is happy to have cheesy lines in it. But when it becomes a more serious film, you know, relatively early into the film, then it it, it drops that. I thought the screenplay was excellent, and I would be very happy to see this get nominations. Not necessarily wins, but nominations. I think around the board, I'll say that. You know, there's a lot of things here. I don't necessarily think I want it to win much, but I want it to get nominated for almost anything, everything. I think, I hope, I'd like to see, you know, Jared Leto, but I'd like to see Lady Gaga, I'd like to see Ridley Scott, I'd like to see this. I thought the cinematography was, was, was fairly strong. Now, the only problem I had is the colour grade early on. First half an hour, the colour grade is awful here. It starts off so yeah. washed and so so kind of grey. The grey-up. first scene, it was very orange. And at first I was like, this is how American films colour grade Mexico. Are they yeah. in Mexico? And yeah. it stayed like that for a long time. After about the 30, 40 minute mark, I think it started to sort itself out. I said this to my mum, said, oh, you know, Gucci are, are kind of aren't that particularly... Um, you know, bold or anything. It's weird, especially early on. There were scenes being quite washed out, and it's quite thing. I I think she's giving her too much credit there. I don't. I just think that it's a slightly poor decision. So for all the positives I have, in uh, as I said, there's a few. The, the, the I would go. I've said it twice already. The editing here is dreadful. The editing here is awful. I've completely fully her hands up there. The, the editing here is really stop start, and I think there are so many scenes that would benefit so much if they just waited on the shot for four seconds. There are so many times where the scene, people, someone's talking, boom, into the next thing, boom, into the next month. And it's like, I think that this would have really benefited from a slightly more patient editor. Um, and I think that that is one of the biggest things here is that at times I'm like, wait a second, what? Give me a second to breathe. So that is one thing that, that stopped it. Okay, I guess that would have made the film longer. But again, I had no problems with the runtime at all. I felt like, I felt like it, 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 it flew through. So... I wouldn't mind it a bit more, but that that is one mm. issue that you know I can openly talk quite a lot about. This is one of the not worst, but the, on out of the good films of the year, this is one of the worst um, when it comes mm. to editing. You know, so th- that's I, one thing that annoyed me. I will I will actually disagree on the editing because this contains. I don't know if you saw um, my tweet about this. I this contains one of my favorite edits ever created in the history of cinema. Um, there is one scene with Paolo Gucci, unsurprisingly. That's where great. That's great. That is yeah. really good. So he, he goes he to opens scream. his mouth he goes to, to cry. Scream, yeah. And the sound of a car horn honking comes out. Yeah, that that is that was good. I absolutely lost it in the cinema. I guffawed. It was hilarious. One yes. of the best cuts I've ever seen. Yeah, that was masterfully good. edited. Other than that, I agree. Bad edited. Yeah. But that that is wonderful. Um, I honestly, I could talk about how much I hate this and how bad I think this is for hours. Another thing, I think the score is barely noticeable. It doesn't really do anything. The use yeah, of no, pop I agree, music, I don't, I don't think, think it was good. Important. I will say though, one of the few good things I thought is the one of the final scenes, which is we see Maurizio Gucci's murder. The score throughout that scene is wonderful. That piece of music that plays 
from the moment we see him, he starts with him sat in a cafe and it ends with him dead on the floor. The music that plays throughout that scene, there's no dialogue, it's just he sits down, he has a coffee, he gets on his bike, he goes for a bike ride, he walks up some stairs, gets shot. The music that plays in that scene is wonderful. I'm not sure if it's an original piece of music or if it's a classical piece of music, but it was fantastic. And that's one of the only good things about this. And Adam Driver is one of the only good things about this. I think Lady Gaga has been getting a lot of praise. I don't think she deserves it. Adam Driver, for me, was the best performance in this. Or maybe it was Jared Leto. I don't know, because Jared Leto was the worst and the best. But Adam Driver was the the most kind of anchored performance in this. And I felt like he was... He was taking it seriously, but not too seriously. I felt like Lady Gaga was taking it too seriously. I felt like everyone else was just kind of on drugs, doing something. Um, But yeah, this is one of, if not the, one of the biggest disappointments of the year for me. And I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember this, but when the trailer first came out, we spoke about it on here. And I said, I'm nervous because of the choice of song in the trailer. Because I expected House of Gucci to be a serious crime drama about this murder. And then the choice of, um, I can't remember what songs in the first trailer. It was, um, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Jar of Hearts. Yes, that. Um, the choice of Jar of Hearts in the trailer really threw me off. And I was like, is this going to be kind of a goofy film? And it was. And my worries were justified. And they ultimately were correct because well, it, it wasn't even hearts. camp. Like it wasn't camp to the point where it was fun. Like there are a lot of films where the performances, the style, everything about it's camp and it's fun. It wasn't even that for me. It was just bad. Costume design though was on point. The best outfits of the year come from this and it will win best costume design and it deserves it. It doesn't deserve anything else though. I thought um, that the direction was adequate. I felt like this, I felt that, you know, comparing this to The Last Duel, which was Ridley Scott's other film from this year, The Last Duel was masterfully directed. And, you know, Ridley Scott is one of the best action directors out there, directing those action scenes, those battle scenes. It was very impressive. And you can tell that you were dealing with someone who was incredibly experienced with this sort of stuff. House of Gucci, it felt like it could have been directed by anyone. It, I didn't feel like this was Ridley Scott. It could have just been anyone behind the camera. Same with the cinematography. Same with everything else. So the screenplay was cheesy and awful. The delivery of the screenplay was cheesy and awful. I genuinely, I could go on about how much I don't like this for hours and hours. So we should just, <laughs> we should just yeah, stop. Yeah, I mean, alternatively, you know, I'd say I like The Last Year a lot, but in terms of direction, I don't think it holds a candle to House of Gucci. Um, I would say that I understand your points about the score, but I guess one thing we can... Well, we can both agree that, that it's full of bangers, whether you necessarily think they're well-placed. Oh, yes. The, the music question. is exceptional. It and just I think shouldn't the, the be there. The score doesn't need to be good because it's filled with... I think that I thought that the score worked really well, to be fair. I really like... Oh, the script, sorry, the, um, the um, music fit really well. Um, and, and, you know, the only thing is that maybe... No, 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 no. I, I really thought it was cool. The soundtrack, actually. soundtrack, soundtrack was, was very good. Mm. Um, I wish that there was some sort of Oscars thing for soundtrack because yeah, there's only films be, that are strong be. on the soundtrack and not necessarily strong on the score. And yeah. It, it just, um, yeah, but whatever. I've just remembered yeah. something else that made me laugh as well that was meant to be serious. The uh, the moment where she leaves, he asked her to leave, 
and she's getting in the car and he's looking out the window and it looks like the Spongebob meme of Squidward looking at Patrick and Spongebob, Adam Driver's looking out of the window and then Lady Gaga turns around and her mascara is like comically smudged all over her face because she's been crying and it's just, it was just funny. It was those moments, the moments that were meant to be serious were the moments where I was laughing and that's like the worst thing. You know, it didn't make me feel anything. I felt like I was laughing at it constantly. Yeah, it just um, was not for me. This film, biggest disappointment of the year. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll uh, the most important one of us, which is obviously my mum, uh, did go see this film, and she was a very big fan. She mentioned me on the first day, saying it was bloody brilliant. Her thing was uh, that Jared Leto was a standout for her. She thought that he was fantastic, uh, and she very openly praised the performances of all of them. So you know, I guess that kind of proves that I'm right. If, if my mum's agreeing, um, <laughs> I kind of wish I'd got JL on here now because JL and me have very similar thoughts on this film. Actually, yeah, um, he did like it more, so, yeah, a lot more than I did. Yeah. Almost everyone liked it a lot more than I did. He controversially, however, thinks that Gaga was better than Kristen Stewart, which I don't think. Um, that is well for me. Thinking Lady Gaga was worthy of a nomination is ridiculous thinking that she was better than Kristen Stewart is even more ridiculous I think she's certainly <laughs> I, I think mm, I'm guessing I, I, I couldn't look back through but I'm guessing like seven out of the last ten years I'd probably have Lady Gaga winning best actress um, but I think like, this year because of Kristen Stewart like I don't think there's many people that would ever be Kristen Stewart for me in my opinion yeah so I don't even think that Lady Gaga top, cracks my top 20 performances of the year for, for, for yeah I, I mean yeah she's probably my Second favorite actress performance, um, maybe, yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, I just, I, I can't. I, I under, I am in the minority of this, where I just, there was nothing redeeming about this. You said quite at a few least with, things, to be fair. Well, yeah, but like as a whole, like they had very small moments that were good, but as a whole, there was nothing that redeemed this, apart from maybe Jared Leto, where you know, I he was the scene stealer. Every scene he was in. My eyes just went to him because he was just so absurd. And in a way, like, I'm so divided on him because in a way it was amazing and it was a magnetic performance that constantly drew my eyes. But did it draw my eyes for all of the wrong reasons or did it just draw my eyes because it was so compelling? I don't know. Jared really is an excellent actor. I really wish that, I wish that, I said, I always say it's all the time. I, I always find it so annoying that, um, the, the the majority of people just know him as the guy from Suicide Squad. Yeah. He, he really is absolutely excellent. And, uh, and I wish he wasn't a, a creepy cult person because he is great. Yeah, over the yeah yeah he actually seems like a nice bloke as well, which makes it bad that he's a bad bloke because he seems like a nice bloke. <laughs> so like in, in interviews and stuff, he seems like a cool guy, but it turns out he's might be a bit dodgy. Okay, so go on to ratings. Uh, do you want to start off with your rating? <laughs> uh, my rating is suitably low. I'm going to give this a 4 out of 10. Whoa, that's actually way higher than I thought. Wow, that is actually really? quite high. Yeah, I thought you were going to give it like a 2 or something. Wow, that is quite high. No, uh, okay, I'll give it a 4. I was going to give it a wow. 3, but then I thought the costume design, the hair and makeup was good, production design was good, so I was like, you know... I've not really focused on any of the positives, but yeah, the costume design was amazing. Hair and makeup was amazing. Not even just Jared Leto, because Jared Leto does not look remotely like Jared Leto in this, but also just the hair and makeup in general. Um, And the costumes, the production design, you briefly mentioned the production design, transports you to the 80s. It's incredible, the production design. Um, Mm. So yeah, it gets a four. 
I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. I, I oh. thought it was, was very strong. I ha- currently have it. I know film is subjective, but that that just took me out. <laughs> well, to be fair, I think more, people are closer to me than you, in general. To be fair, so yeah, they are. They are. I am in the. Uh, I'm very. This is a very hot take, but yeah. yeah. Um, I'm. I yeah. So I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. Um, I've got it currently ninth um, of the year. Uh, eighth, if you just talking strictly films, because there's, there's a limited series in there. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, I thought it was it was very very strong. Um, so yeah, I going on to man the match now. This is gonna be hard. Uh, this is pretty hard for both of us. I was gonna say it's harder for you than me, but actually, it might be easy for you because you might just go costumes on or something straight away. Yeah, it's very easy for me. I might as well just get mine out of the way. Um, before I even saw this, I knew who man of the match would be. It was it's Janty Gates for costume design. The costume design is just unbelievable. Some of the outfits that they wear in this is stunning. Gorgeous costume design. Gorgeous clothes that they've got. I mean, it's literally called Gucci. Of course, the clothes were going to be epic. 80s classic retro Gucci. Um, it was amazing. So, yeah. I thought Chanty that... Yates. Yeah, I, I I thought that a lot of the forms were really good. I, I really liked the... I thought that it was directed excellently. I thought the screenplay was really good. I thought the costume design was really good. As you said, the production design. It's, it's very tough for me. But I think I'm going to have to give it to... The performance I was most um, impressed by, uh, and that is um, Lady Gaga, um, also known as Stefani Joanne Angelina Germanotta, um, for 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 the, the leading role. So uh, yeah, I'm giving yeah. to Lady Gaga. Fair enough. I do just want to add on as well. I am a massive Lady Gaga fan, so I am not biased no. against her in any no, way. We don't claim. You. I love Lady Gaga. I really wanted to like this. It just didn't do anything for me. I as loved a, her in Star is Born. I love her in Star is Born. Stan, um, we don't accept you. <laughs> I remember when um, the first reactions dropped for this, and there was a lot of negative, a lot of negativity. Um, I thought to myself, if I don't like House of Gucci, I'm just going to keep this to myself because the <laughs> the Gaga stands are ruthless. Yeah. Um, but I haven't done. I've openly called it shit. Yes, yes, you have. Um, yeah. But. 25 people listen to the podcast, so I don't know if any of them will be uh, Lady Gaga fans. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry if you are a Lady Gaga fan. I, I too, am a Lady Gaga fan. I'm just not a fan of House I'm of Gucci. I'm a... She's a monster, isn't they? Lady Gaga fans. Yes, which is why I also found it funny when yeah, she said, I didn't know I married a monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the memes there. Because I was like... Yeah. Um, just, as I, I've, is I've that a self-aware just... moment? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I don't listen to her music, um, but... I, you know, just from this performance alone, I consider myself a monster, a little monster. Sorry. So, um, you know, as as part of the Lady Gaga fandom, we officially kick you out. You can go listen to Taylor Swift or something. Um, <laughs> you know, we we, we uh, Lewis whom. Uh. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Also, um, one of the probably like the most passionate and over the top sexy in in a film I've seen. Fucking hell, they yes. got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was enjoying it in the back, mate. I'm lucky I was right at the back. So, uh, <laughs> what on earth was going on in that scene? <laughs> uh, it was sex. Yeah, but that scene felt like it was directed and performed by people who didn't even know what sex was. Like, mm, I think it, sounded, it felt like it was performed by someone that people that maybe know sex too well. I thought that like, this is semi-pornographic, um, <laughs> and therefore I have the right to beat off in the cinema. Wow. Okay. 
But yeah, that that sex scene was one <laughs> one of the weirdest I've seen. Well, I really enjoyed it myself. <laughs> so... And it really came out of nowhere. I thought it was going to be later on in the film because I heard about it. I didn't know why people were talking about it. I just thought it'd be a really like intense sex scene. I did not expect it to be what it was. Yeah, it kind of it was a bit randomly times. You know, less less random, less uh, unneeded than the Eternal sex scene, but um, still mm. very. But very a lot passionate. more graphic than the Eternal sex scene. Imagine <laughs> if that was in Eternals. Imagine if Gemma oh Chan that, gave that Lady Gaga a sex a scene performance. I don't think that would be the top of my MCU list. If you <laughs> um, imagine Kevin Feige's reaction mm. seeing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Lady Gaga with that four foot tall as well, isn't she? So yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine Icarus and Cersei on the beach. Yeah, you made that too. Doing what was doing in this film. <laughs> Keep that imagining to yourself. Um, yeah. So, but that, again, that's that another thing where I was just laughing at it. It was hilarious. Yeah, fair enough on that one. But um, I personally oh. thought it was hot, so it's fine. So. That's uh, all. The, that's all she wrote on on House of Gucci, a film that are very differing opinions on uh, can be potentially uh, most different we will ever have. Yeah, potentially. I, mean, I thought you'd give it lower than a four, to be fair. So five ratings, you know. Maybe yeah, I feel like you were very positive, so I kind of had to balance it out and be like, talk about the negative. But there yeah. was there was positive in this. Yeah. Even though you said oh, it doesn't have any redeeming features, and then spent the next ten minutes just talking about its redeeming. That's features. true. It, I, I may have been a bit. You're a man of hyperbolic. hyperbolic. What it, can I, say? It do, I am. I am very hyperbolic. There, there are a few redeeming features. Yeah, that we. I'm looking forward to this not being mentioned for a few months, and then us going up about how much we like and hate it next time we talk about Oscars and stuff. And yeah. I'm going to be going for wanting it to get all the Oscars, and you're going to. This if we, when we do the um, alternative Oscars. I predict that this will be funny because you will probably have it nominated for Best Picture and I will probably have it nominated for Worst Picture. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Um, <laughs> I'm going to ban it from the worst. I'm just going to cut it in the audio <laughs> and replace it with, like, you, like, you know, in the in the Simpsons where um, Poochie goes back and it's, um, I, I, ha- I have to go home. My planet needs me. It's like you're going to go, uh, okay, and my fifth nomination for Worst Picture is... Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> Another redeeming feature, actually, was um, as much as the performance. Dear Evan Hansen. This wasn't Dear Evan Hansen, though. Another redeeming feature um, that wasn't necessarily the performance was Jared Leto's character. I actually felt very sorry for Jared Leto's character. Yeah, so do I, poor fella. Yeah. Um, I also I hated the ending. It just came out of nowhere. Yeah, it was a bit rushed. Like, the ending happened, and then it turns out that you know, the ending is set in 1995 or 1996 or whatever, and then it turns out that one of the main supporting characters died like seven years before, and we just didn't hear about that. And I was like, uh, okay, we just skipped past that. Yeah. And it's yeah. just uh, awfully paced for me. Anyway, we need to stop, because I could go on for hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Mum asked me if Camille Cotton's nose was added on in post. Like, <laughs> like she like was completely unintentional. She was like, I kept looking at her nose. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, she's a stillwater. She was like, it's a prosthetic, isn't it? I was like, no. She's like, what was it added what? in post? Like, no, it's just her nose. It's like, oh. They just no, changed her nose in post for, for no reason. 
Well, well, yeah, well, they changed Jared Leto's to look like. Well, yeah, that's true. Like to make him look more like the person. Oh man, alive. Okay, <laughs> well, enough of the controversy. Let's let's look forward to next week where we're watching a film leaded by a paedophile. Yes, which um, I, I I have no idea how we're going to feel about that. Well, well, I think we'll just say at the beginning of the podcast, this film has a paedophile in it. We're not going to mention. Yeah. Oh, it well, I meant the film in general, but yeah, the fact that it's led by a oh, paedophile right, is yeah. concerning. <laughs> yeah, um, alleged to be a of course. Uh, I have to yes. say that for legal reasons. Um, yeah, so that will be uh, West Side Story. So we don't know necessarily what we're going to do with it, um, but we'll, we'll have something. Um, so we're going to be looking at that. Will be the new film from Steven Spielberg that's coming out next week. Uh, and there's also, I don't know if we will or not, but I also, uh, you know, Clifford the Red Red Dog is also coming out on Friday. So. We'll see if we talk about that, or we'll see if we go see that, because that does look like one of the best films of the year. Um, Wait, sorry? Clifford the Big Red Dog. Oh, Clifford dog. the Big Red Dog, yes. The power of Clifford the Dog. The power of dog. the Big Red Dog. The power of of dog. The fo- a force from above. Yes. Uh, so what's the next word? Uh, cleaning my soul. That's it. Make love your goal, Lewis. And we'll see you next time, guys. Um, I've been your host Sam Houston you can uh, find me on Twitter at Sam H Media uh, and Litterbox at Sam Houston uh, my dear dear friend Lewis you can find him on Twitter at LewisJWR and you can find him on uh, Letterbox at LJWR um, uh, and you can find the podcast at Now Show It Pod uh, we are proud to be members of the Now Show It God, I'm not cutting out. When proud to be members of the Music City Driver Network, uh, you can find them on their website or on their Twitter at MCDI Pod. They have a whole host of podcasts and articles uh, concerning films, TV, and music, and sports, and a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, if you like the podcast, the best way to support us is by giving us a five star rating on iTunes because it helps us go up in the rankings. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> bit of Gucci reference. <laughs>